Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come and study your word and, and just gather together. You say we're two or three are gathered. There you are in the midst, and we ask your spirit to guide and lead, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus. How about, how about Ezekiel? Not Exodus. Ezekiel chapter 18. We're going to continue on this uh, section that we've been studying. Uh, last week we were talking about uh, people repenting from their sins. Uh, that the one who sins is the one that's judged, not, not their family and not the parents of a child or the child for the parents or anything on that. And we're going to continue this uh, theme here, starting at verse 25. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in them, for his iniquity that he has done, shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turns away from his wickedness that he has committed and does that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive because he considers and turns away from all his transgressions that he has committed. He shall surely live and he shall not die. Yet says the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore will I judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away all your transgression whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of them that die, says the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live you. So we're going to, huh? You went all the way to 19? Right, right to the end of the chapter, yeah. Verse 25 says, Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal, and are not your ways unequal. This is something you hear frequently from people who look at the Bible and, and think about God. You know, God, you're not equal. You don't treat people equally. And the problem is, from the world's point of view, that does appear to be true. You know, God said that Israel was his people, but those who aren't following him get judged. <laughs> and yet you look at somebody like David, who commits adultery and murders, and God says, he's a man after my own heart. And there's a lot of people that struggle with all of this. Even as Christians, will struggle with this. How can God allow certain things like that? And it all really boils down to his grace, and the fact that it's all by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it really does come down to our heart attitude. Am I turning my life completely over to God and repenting? Or am I trying to do good works to please God? And God is not impressed with our good works. And this is a struggle that people will have over and over again. Job had the same mentality when he started out. You know, you do good things, you get rewarded. And that's what his, his friends told him, and that's what he basically agreed with them. Yes, I understand that what you're saying is true. You know, the righteous don't suffer. And he was suffering. And he knew that he wasn't an unrighteous man that deserved all that punishment, at least in his own eyes. And in God's eyes, too, we're told in, in the first couple chapters that God said he was a perfect man that hates evil. So we know that he, you know, we see this, and, but people will look at this and say, well, 
God is just not fair. He, he punishes some that look like they're good and, and lets off those who look like they're bad scot-free. And But it is really in this, how am I looking to God? Do I realize I'm a sinner? If I realize I'm a sinner, then I'm turning to God and I'm repenting and we're going to follow more into what I, what, how, we, how we react. And God looks at that and says, that's what I want. I want that soft heart that turns to me rather than the hard, arrogant heart <laughs> that says, I deserve. And Israel went through this. Israel right now is at a place where they're being judged. Okay, remember, we're, the first wave of captives have already gone out and there's another wave getting ready to be taken and, and the people are going, well, this just isn't fair. God, you, you said we're your people. You said you'd bless us. But they've always ended up forgetting that those were conditional blessings. If you seek my ways, if you follow my ways, I will bless you. If you turn your back on me, you will be judged. And here they are at that point where they're going, they're, getting, they're going to get judged and they're going, God, you're just not fair. You didn't, you didn't do this to all these other generations. And to some degree, they might have been right because there were generations that were as bad as them. But the cumulative effect of them turning their back on God was that God said, I've had enough and I'm going to bring judgment. And judgment always falls eventually. Always. And we can sometimes think we're getting away with sin, but eventually if we keep doing it, God will judge the sin. And when he judges our sin, he will let others know about it and people will see exactly who you are. And this is, and we're not talking about just different sins, but those perpetual sins that you think you're getting away with, you know better than. You know you're not supposed to do it and you keep doing it. For many men, it might be pornography. They, it's their secret sin. They do it in their home. Nobody else knows about it. And they know it's wrong. They know it's bad. And yet they keep doing it and keep doing it. And God says, be sure your sin will find you out. And here's where they're at. They're seeing this whole thing. Verse 26 says, When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in them for his iniquity that he has done, shall he die. And this is the idea of the Pharisees, the, the, the religiously proud person. They sit there and they, they go, look at me. <laughs> look at me. Look how good I am. And oftentimes when you're living in that lifestyle, there comes that point in time where you fall flat on your face. We've all been there when, we, when we're trying to do it under our own strength. And Jesus had the hard time with de dealing with these scribes and Pharisees. They were the ones that were the hardest on him. You know, hey, you, you're eating with publicans and sinners. You're, you're, going, you're hanging out with all those sinner, sinful people. And when we sin, we will die in our sins. We will die because of our sins. The wages of sin is death, not just spiritual death, but physical death. When Adam and Eve sinned, everything turned around in their life. They no longer had the purity that they had. They no longer walked with God. They no longer got the perfect growth out of the, out of the ground. And everything turned against them. Man's fall impacted everything. I know that goes back to that same thought in verse 24. But this guy that thinks he's righteous, he, that must be like a false righteousness. God's righteousness is where, where we have perfection. And that's because he puts it on us, and it's Jesus' righteousness. 
And also, when it's his righteousness, I stand, I stand humble in it, and I know it's not mine, and I know that I don't deserve every, anything that I'm getting. This is why it's so important for us to understand, when we're saved, it's nothing that I did. You know, what did I get to do? I, I said a prayer, God, I'm a sinner, come in and help me. I think that's what I was trying to do, is equate righteous with saved. Right. It's not necessarily the same thing. Because the scribes and Pharisees, by people looking on to them, were very righteous people. And they were pretty righteous for the most part. Some of them were very hypocritical, but most of them were very righteous men trying their best to do what was right. And I believe Paul was one of those when he was with Saul. I believe he was one that was trying to live according to God's standards. And all he did is find out that he couldn't. Because when you try to do God's way of living on your own strength, it will be revealed very quickly to you that you can't live it. Uh, I can't be completely truthful. I can't be completely honest. I can't be completely pure in my thought life. I can't be completely pure in my speech. No matter how hard I try, I cannot be any of those things. And that's, yeah, getting into those other areas as well. How easy is it for us to get caught up on tearing somebody down before we even know what, realize what we're doing? We start talking and, we're, and we end up tearing somebody down and then we go, oh my goodness, how could I have even started going down that path? And there's many times where I have to stop people in the middle when I realize what's going on and say, no, we're not going, I'm not going down that path. We're not going down this path with me. It's so easy to be going down the wrong directions. It's so easy to get wrapped up in, in sin and fall. And if it's our own righteousness that we're trying to live in, even if we are righteous, Isaiah tells us our righteousness is filthy rags. So it doesn't work anyway. <laughs> because if we're dwelling on judgmental things, eventually judgmental opinions will come out, whether it's the one time or or at some point, and this is why it's very hard in some ways to walk with God because we have to stay focused on Him because otherwise it, it will come out. If, we, if we're thinking on it, if we're dwelling on it, even if we don't let it come out, eventually these things come out. You don't know what sin is. I mean, uh, you don't know what sin is until you know what sin is. <laughs> and even then you only know the tip of the iceberg yeah. of sin. The more you learn about it, the, the more you're convicted. And this is what I have found over the years. It, you know, God keeps chipping away what I used to not think of sin. He says, now this is sin. And then when he gets rid of that in my life, he'll show me other areas that I never realized were sin. And just to see how really depraved sin is, is an amazing thing. And God keeps moving us further and further into what he is. And it's amazing that the more we walk with him, the more we study, the more we understand what sin is. And even then, we don't understand what sin is. Because we only begin to see the darkness. You know, when we first get saved, we're seeing all these big things that in our life that we kind of know we're sin, you know. And then as we get walking with him, all of a sudden, he starts really trying to work with our heart attitude, our mind, our thinking, the lack of edification that we speak with, the lack of un the unloving comments that we make to people. 
And we need to be very careful on all of these things because it is very easy to fall into these works. And one of the things that happens to us as we grow in Christ to a degree, sometimes we also get a little numb to the relationship and start substituting rules and regulations for a, sub, for a relationship with God. And we get away from that relationship and we just start doing. We do, we do programs. We do things. And it can be as simple of, as, well, I read my Bible today. I prayed today. I... You know, I did this, I talked to three people today, and we have our little checklist of what we consider is working for God. And we forget that it's not a checklist, it is literally spending time with God. And not that each of those little activities are wrong, but if we're doing it just to be checking off the box, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, then we've got a problem. It's got to be, God, I want to know you more. Should we read our Bible every day? I absolutely believe we should read our Bible every day, not just to mark off a little checkbox saying I read my Bible, but to know him and see what he wants us to do that day. And very important. Again, not just to check off a box. Okay, God, I prayed for 15 minutes today, and tomorrow I'll pray for 30 minutes. You know, you know we can't keep checking off boxes because none of that is what's going to really be righteousness. Pharisees did that. They had little check boxes that, you know, I did this, this, this. But not just Pharisees, almost all people. And many times, even for Christians, when we get into our walk with God and we start, we start loving him and we get into the God's word and then it starts to become a drag and we're just reading the Bible every morning just because that's what I'm supposed to do. So you're not reading it to get anything out of it you're just going through the motions saying this is my you know I have to read it here I've checked off my box I read my Bible that's a very dangerous place to be and I've caught myself in that in several times where I'm just reading it to read I think not reading at all would be a little worse than reading it with the wrong <laughs> wrong attitude but it's not much better you're just reading a book at that point. Many times we do this. We get into our routine. Okay, God, here's my routine. I get up in the morning. I read my Bible. I give you my 30 minutes of prayer. Head out the door, and I'm looking for one person to witness to this each day. Are any of those bad things to do? Absolutely not. They're great things to do. But if all I'm doing is following them to check one, check two, check three, okay, I'm done. I, I've done my righteous, righteous duty then I'm no longer in a relationship with God. I'm just, I will probably be burnt out. I'll probably not enjoy my Christian walk. If I'm going out and saying, God, I just love you. I want to I get into your word because I want to meet you. I want to pray and talk with you and, and worship with, with you each day. I love to just sing songs all, all, almost all day long. I was walking down the hall today and it was empty and I didn't realize and somebody's coming down and they go, who is that that's so happy down there? <laughs> I don't go with me, I'm always happy. Who is that? I'm never in that, that mode. I don't know. I just spend lots of time with God and I love, I love spending time with God. I love to sing. I love to, I love to read his word. But I, I've also been in those dry spots where sometimes it's just doing it because it needs to be done. And I think there's great benefit in some, some of that discipline. But if it totally replaces your life and I'm doing it just because I have to and, and never gets any enjoyment out of it, there's a problem. Okay, like I say, I think reading it is better than not reading it because God has a chance of speaking to you. But if all you're doing is reading it to check off a box, you're wasting your time. 
If all you're doing is spending time going through a prayer list just so you can check off a box, okay, I prayed, you've wasted your time. And we need to get away from this idea of just being righteous for righteousness sake. We need to be in a relationship with God and he changes us and we become like him. And this is what I say so many times. As we become more like him, we're going to do the good things that we want to be using, you know, that we would use as a checkbox. But we'll be doing it for a whole different reason. God, I'm going to read my Bible because I want to know what you want me to know today. I want, to, I want you to give me some, some information today. I want you to feed me. And God, I want to just pray with you. I want to spend time just talking with you. And I'll be honest with you, prayer is probably the hardest thing I have in, in my life. And I try to pray. And sometimes it's one of the easiest ones for me to get into just praying to check off the box. Okay, God, I've, I've prayed. Now, studying the Word is not that hard. <laughs> getting into God's Word is not that hard for me. I love getting into God's Word. I love to sing and praise Him. But the prayer for me is a difficult area. In my case, I do it because I know that I need to spend time with Him. I need to put out my request to Him. But it's not an easy area in my life. And we all have those areas. But I love to spend time with God. I love to sing. I love to get into His Word. I like to be talking about Him all the time. <laughs> And this is what he's looking at. In verse 27 it says, Again, and when the wicked man turns away from his wickedness, after that he is committed and does that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive, because he considers and turns away from all his transgressions that he has committed, and he shall surely live and shall not die. The wicked person will repent. He, he considers his way. He he reviews them, he examines them, and he turns away or repents. This is the most important statement in this section here. Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the publican, and the Pharisee, it says, the Pharisee prayed with himself, thank you God that I'm not like that publican, and the publican wouldn't even look up and he said, God forgive me, I'm a sinner. He says, the Pharisee went away having talked amongst himself. Who did it say he prayed to? He, he's thinking he's praying to God. And, he, and Jesus said he prayed with himself. Not with God. He just communicated with himself. God, you know, he, he may have said God's name and all these things. How many times do we pray and it's just with ourselves? Our mind really isn't on God. We're using all the right words. We might even use the right vocabulary. But we're really not praying to God. And a lot of times those are the prayers that hit the ceiling and bounce right back down at us and we feel terrible about. Could you remind me what uh, supplication uh, refers to? Supplication is giving our, our requests. That's the request part of prayer. That's it, request. Request. Okay. Prayer, supplication. prayer and supplication. This is why in our <laughs> prayer guide we have the, the acronym ACTS. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and supplication. And I've always said it probably should be cats. Confession probably should be first. Okay. Supplication, supplication is giving my requests. God, I need this, or would you help so-and-so? Those are supplications. Much of our prayer, for most of us, are supplications. God, give me, give, give so-and-so, give me, give so-and-so. Name and claimants are all big on supplication. 
Yeah. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with supplications, but if that's all you're doing for God, with God, think about it. If you have a child or somebody that you like, and the only time they ever come up to you is give me. You, know, you wouldn't have much of a relationship. You'd see that person coming and going, oh no, here we go again. God is not just wanting us to come to him with give me. He's wanting us to adore him, to give thanks to him, to, to confess our sins, to come humbly before him. And that's what prayer is all about. That's my relationship with him is to come before him. God, I am not worthy to come before you. I'm not even worthy to give these supplications. When I finally get around to supplications, it's like, God, these are the things very humbly that I would like to see. And ideally, more of our supplication should be for other people than for ourselves. You know, because again, it's, you know, the give me's or God give, give others. And very important, prayer. I, I say prayer is hard for me, but I love to praise God. I love to, to just worship and adore him. I don't do a lot on the, on the request side, especially for myself. I, my prayers are a lot for other people because God has blessed me. He always blesses me. I don't really have to put up into you know, a lot of stuff in front of him. Now, when things get really tough, I'm going, okay, God, you know, you know, you know what I need. I need this and this, but you know, let's, let's go this. And sometimes, you know, like I said, when I was in a financial hard place, I would go, God, I paid my bills. Here's, the, here's yours. Should be definitely we should be thanking him. Many people when they pray and God will be careful to give you thanks and then they forget to give God thanks. And, and very important, prayer is a much more than God give me. And that's what most people's prayers really are. God give me or give somebody else. And God is wanting much more than that. He's wanting us to spend time with him. And part of that time can be in the word. Because that's God's chance to speak directly to us from his word. And much of what I get from God is from his word. Other times he speaks to me through my innermost being. He's, he's come and he just speaks to the heart and says little things to my heart. And I've learned to hear his voice over the years. And that's people go, well, how do you know it's God? Well, just partially because I spend time with him. I know is when he speaks to me now. Just like... Not as much in this day anymore now we look at our phones and know exactly who's on the phone. But everybody in this room is old enough to remember when you used to have to pick up a phone and say hello. And they didn't have to, you know, if it's somebody you talk to a lot, they did not have to tell you, hi, this is, you know, Ralph. You know, you just, as soon as they said hi, you'll go, you knew who it was. <laughs> you know, if you talk to them enough. Now, if it's somebody you didn't talk to but once every few weeks or months, and yeah, you would have to know who they are. But... How do we know God's voice? We spend time listening to his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And then we spend time with him, we'll know his voice. We'll know when he speaks. We'll know when it matches the scriptures and know, know when it's his voice and when it's not his voice. And we'll know to be able to listen because we've just developed that listening well, skill. Many times it's just a strong impression in my life. 
there's been at least one occasion where I th would say that I heard something. Yeah. Now, whether I heard a, a sound or just definitely heard it in my brain, I don't know, but I heard something on at least one occasion. On about two or three others, it was a pretty strong, well, I get strong. Well, there are times when I know that I'm supposed to talk to somebody and I know what I'm supposed to, that I'm supposed, what I'm supposed to say to them without no real words involved, but I just know it's God telling me to do it. There's times when he has stopped me from doing things that, that I was getting ready to do, and then re later on when I thought about it, I realized why, you know, because I saw something or knew something and I knew that it was God who stopped me. That's a strong impression. For me, mostly strong impressions. Uh, that match the scripture and just I've learned over time. Now, strong impressions you got to be careful with because they can also lead you down the wrong path. I mean, it's, it's again, learning to know that it's God and it's learning to walk in the spirit and walk by faith. And I have made some bad decisions thinking that they were God's, God's will. I haven't been making as many lately, but... <laughs> I think a lot of that is because I've grown. Yeah. After 44 years of listening to his voice, I'm getting better at it. Learned. And this is all of our spiritual walk is all about learning to be obedient, learning to hear, learning to do. And this is why it is called a spiritual walk or spiritual growth. Because a child does not know how to do many things. A child doesn't know how to do anything when it's born and has to learn everything. And you know, it's kind of amazing in the spiritual world. We'll try to make people go, well, how come you haven't grown up? Well, I've only been saved for six months. You know, we don't do this to a baby. Okay, kid, why aren't you walking yet? <laughs> you know, all you do is lay there and poop your diapers and, and eat. You know, why aren't you walking and running and, you know, we don't do that to the child, and yet we do that all the time in the spiritual walk. How come you aren't moving around like, a, like an adult, you know, and realize you've been, you've been saved six whole months? How come you're not making good godly decisions and, and following God in, all your, in your life? And we tend to get impatient with others and ourselves because we're not where we think we should be. Now, if you've been walking with God for 15, 20 years, and you're still a spiritual baby pooping your diaper and and drinking milk, you've got some problems. You know, you can't hear God's word and understand God's word after decades of walking with him. You've got some serious problems. And you then have to look at, do I really know God and the whole, the whole process? But if you've only been saved a short time and you keep falling down and making mistakes and, not, and, and going on the wrong impressions and walking through open doors that weren't really opened by God, you learn from them. You learn from them and you don't do it again in the future and you listen a little closer for his word the next time. And then you start seeing, oh, that was it. Yes, I got that. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody go, will you pray for me about such and such? And I start praying for them. My full intention is to pray what, for what they asked for. But in my prayer, I'll pray for something totally different and then I'll open my, you know, get done with the prayer and I'll look at them and I'm going, how'd you know that that's really what I needed? I go, I didn't, but God did. Okay, what led that? I opened my mouth, <laughs> and God filled it. And this is something we have to just learn. It takes time to learn to walk. And it takes time to learn to speak for God. And it, a lot of it is getting into his word, getting to know his word. A lot of it is just spending time with him. Just spending time with him, not even necessarily in prayer or reading, but just 
God, I love you. You know, singing choruses, singing these choruses that put your mind on him. And this is one of the reasons I've been introducing choruses to us. The you know, little short, quick things that you can, can just be able to say and, and sing, you know, when you have a, you know, a, a minute walking between your car to the front of a, of a building, you can sing some of these, you know, short choruses that we've been learning. You just, words that can put you back on the focus for God. And I've shared with you how many times when I was working in the restaurant under great stress and I would just go out at the very least, I'd go get stuff on the back, back, you know, back while I was in the refrigerator. I'd just give a quick prayer or a quick song, you know, one of these, you know, one-minute choruses, you know, and just, and then come back with a whole refocus on God. Well, somewhere in the New Testament, doesn't it say, and I'll paraphrase it, we should uh, always be uh, in the spirit of prayer, people rather than sitting and praying or having a composed prayer time there. Have bullet prayers or uh... pray without season is what it says in First Thessalonians, exactly. and that doesn't like you said bullet prayers are one of those little things. Just God, what do I, what should I do? How should I how should I handle this? What should I say? What should I? And there's nothing wrong with that, because that's asking Him, it's imploring Him for for His help in the middle of a situation. It could be saying, God, thank you for you know having me avoid that <laughs> that situation. Yeah. You know, anything that just brings us into His presence is wonderful. Because we are fleshly beings, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in the flesh. It's easy for us to wrap up, get wrapped up in what I see. And this is why I keep using the term, when everything seems to be going against us, we need to turn to God and go, God, you've promised for, that everything is for good, so I'm going to just expect you to be true. And that changes my mind. It may still seem bad, but at least I'm going, God, you made a promise. I'm going to hold you to that promise, and I'm going to be looking for what's good that's going to come out of this. And we may or may not see the good in this lifetime. A lot of times we will, sometimes we won't. When people ask you for something, to pray for something for them, is it better to, to pray for something specific or to pray for God's will in the matter? It depends. Uh, depends on what they're asking me to pray for. Depends on what it, what it is. There's times when I've prayed for exactly what they've asked for. There's times when in, in the middle of the prayer I pray for something totally different than what they asked for. But how do you make that, that distinction? To me, I just let God fill my mouth. I really do. I just, uh, because a lot of times what people want is not what they need. There's often times when I've, you know, like I say, people go, they'll come up to me and they'll ask, you know, pray for something. And I've prayed for something totally different than what they asked for. But the Spirit led me to pray for what they really needed. Many times when I'm speaking, I've studied, I've got my notes, and then I end up not speaking about anything that I've studied or, 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 didn't, or planned on speaking about. You learn to, to let the Spirit, and that's what Jesus told, promised the disciples. He goes, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're, when you're drug in front of the courts because I will fill your mouth. And I can't tell you how many times I've had my mouth filled as a teacher, but probably even more when I'm talking to somebody and witnessing to them. And God just starts speaking, and there's many times I've just sat back and listened to what's being said out of my mouth, out of my, my vocal cords, but it's not me speaking. And I know that it's not me speaking. Again, it's just letting God be the one that's controlled. And I don't know how to explain that. It just I know when it happens, doesn't happen all the time, doesn't even happen a lot necessarily, but it happens. And you're just speaking, and all of a sudden, everything just seems to be coming together. 
it's just learning to walk. You've committed your life to God, and it'll get down to this verse that we're going to get to maybe. <laughs> then verse 29, they repeat, the, 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 they repeat, Yet says the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. The house of Israel are not my ways equal, are not your ways unequal. So basically saying, you know, I am me. I'm going to be equal. I'm going to treat people from God's eyes. And this is probably the most important thing. He repeated that statement, but it is really, is it equal in God's eyes? Yes. Is it unequal in humans' eyes? Yes. Humans look at it and say, well, how is so-and-so getting away when this other person didn't get away with? Or, you know, or how often does, do we say, well, why do, the, why do the unrighteous seem to be prospering? God, you're just not there. You're not being equal. And God's saying, they'll get theirs. Just, he hasn't closed his books yet. And we need to be able to understand our sight is not the same as God's sight. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows where everything's headed. He knows what's going to happen. He knows why it's going to happen. And we look at it and say, well, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that all these guys rise to the top of the, the business world or the athletic world or the, or the entertainment world and look how unrighteous they are. And God's saying, yeah, but they're not happy. They're not fulfilled. I'm trying to reach them. And in kind of a, in a bizarre sense of way, he's trying to reach them by letting them get to the top of, their, top of where they're at so they can see that it isn't everything that they thought it was going to be anyway. And God says, I'm going to reveal to them the truth. And unfortunately, and I've said this many times, many Christians probably can't handle fame and fortune because we would use it on ourselves and not to God's glory. And because that's the case, he won't give it to us. <laughs> Yeah, because you're, you're doing what you think is going to make you happy and you are temporarily happy because sin is always temporary happiness in the sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Okay? The, the thrill of the thief when the first, those first couple times they do it and they're successful and they got away with it. You know, there's all that thrill. Then the guilt comes along behind it and then the idea that you have to do more and more. The thrill of the first affair that somebody gets into, you know, and, and, and the enjoyment of the affair at first and then you get yourself hooked into it and you can't you've got to have more and more i think that works in everything i remember from business that uh, uh they said that uh, raises and incentives were just a temporary because they're happy for a short time and then they get used to that raise and it's like okay what's what's the new what's the new incentive what and it's human nature to want more no matter whether good or bad yeah, and it becomes less and less effective each time that it's used, both on the good and the bad. Uh, there's only so many pay raises you can give to somebody before they stop really becoming effective to, as a motivator. They just get effective as I expect it. Uh, it's, sin does the same thing. It has that addictive nature to it, all sin. Some are physically addictive as well as mentally addictive. But all sin has an addictive nature. There's that enjoyment on it at first, and then it always takes more and more to get the same feeling from. And this is why we get kind of jaded even with good things, because we keep doing it over and over again. And it, you know, once you've, once you've gone out and witnessed four or five times, it's not, you know, the excitement can run down if you're not staying in the spirit. 
when you've given the same thing over and over again, it starts to get a little, if you're not walking in the spirit and keeping it new and refreshed every day, it starts to look become old hat. And same thing with work or anything else. It gets to just be, okay, I've done it. <laughs> I just keep doing the same thing. I keep getting the reward, but I want more. I want something different. And this is why it's important for us to stay in God's word and stay fresh with him. Because his mercies are new every morning. His word is new every morning. Walking with God, when you really walk with God, is such an exciting thing to do because it's always new and different with him. And I don't know how he does it, because it, but I just know that it does work out. It's always brand new. It's always, I don't know if he's being creative on his daily, daily activities with us, you know, but it, it does work out that it is exciting and new. Verse 30 says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, says the Lord God. Repent, turn yourselves from your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. God says, I'm going to judge you. He says, repent, turn yourself away from your transgressions, so iniquity will not be your ruin. Repentance is that whole idea of turning away from what we do. We confess. I love the Greek word for confess. It's homologeo, to say the same thing as, and it's to say, yes, God, it is sin. And many people won't say that it's a sin. Many people go, God, I made a mistake, or I did wrong. No, it's a sin. Call it what it is. Because God says it's a sin, call it a sin, and turn away from it. Repent. And that turning away from the sin means to turn back to God. Put your eyes on God. Because if your eyes are on anything else, you'll be led astray. If you've ever tried to follow a compass, you, you actually need to sight the compass on something in the distance and walk toward the something in the distance, not trying to follow the compass. And I've, I've seen this done. We've done it. I've done it when I was learning orienta orienteering, and I've had the boys do it. Okay, try to walk straight north. And you'll walk, especially if you do it in snow. Snow is really wonderful because then you get to watch them zigzag back and forth and, and they're never walking north. And you get the one guy who really knows how to do it and he'll pretty much walk straight because he's walking towards something in the distance. We need our eyes on God or on Jesus, whichever way you want to do, so that we will walk true in his righteousness. Because if you're just sitting there trying to, okay, I got to do this, I got to do that, you won't end up going to where you want to go. That's probably true. I never tried that. I'm not. But, but he says, repent and turn, and your iniquity shall not be your ruin. Why? Because our eyes are focused on where they're supposed to be. Our attention is focused where it's supposed to be. If all we're looking at is getting away from our sin and not turning to God, all we're going to do is walk into another sin, and probably back into the same sin we just left, as well as others. And this is the problem. Jesus said, you know, when he cast out the demon, he goes, now you need to, the, the, the soul and the heart has been swept and cleaned. I need to be there. Otherwise, the demon's going to come back with seven others and your 
former state, your, your latter state will be worse than your former state. If we do not put God back in the place of what's been taken out, it won't work. It just won't. We'll be worse off. And we see this oftentimes when people give up some sin and fall back into it. Rarely do they fall, even fall back to the same place they left. They usually fall back into it deeper than when they left. The alcoholic who gives up drinking and stays, off the, stays on the wagon for a while and falls off the wagon usually gets worse position than when they, when they came off. The smoker who stops smoking and comes back into smoking will oftentimes start smoking at a higher uh, intake than, than when they left off. And this is not just those sins. Those are the easiest. Those are the ones we see easy. But all sin does that to us. And we fall back deeper into what it is. Because there's that heart desire, that heart pull to it. If we don't replace it with God, we need to put God in our life. And this is why I say I love the Christian walk because God will come along. And what he's done in my life so often is, do you want to give up this, this sin and spend more time with me? Yeah, God, I really want to spend more time with you. And you know, when you start choosing to spend more time with God, the, other, the sin just falls away. It falls away and you don't even... You don't struggle with it. You don't fight with it. Because why? It's God. I'm, I've chose God. I choose God to come into my life, and he fills the emptiness that would have been left when, I, when you got rid of that sin. And then you, you do it on the next thing. You do it on the next thing. And it's wonderful when you get more and more of God. There's an old uh, Sunday school song, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I've ever had before. I want more of his great love, so rich, so full, and free. I want more of Jesus, so I give him more of me. The more I give God of me, the more he gives of himself. And I don't even think it's an equal trade. I give a little bit, and he gives a lot. <laughs> and so I give up a little bit more of myself, and he gives me a lot more of him. And before long, my focus is on him, my life is around him, and less and less of me. My soul, my spirit, my life has been crucified, and he's come in and put himself in its place. And it's all down to this, you know, repent and turn. Verse 33 says, Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? He talks about casting away, cast away you all your transgression, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart. How do we get a new heart? How do we cast these things away? It takes him. It really does. I turn to him in confession. He crucifies my flesh. He makes me a new creation. In Ezekiel 11... Verse 19, now let's start at uh, 18. And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, all the abominations whereupon from thence. And I will give them one heart, and I will put in a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a new, give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. God does the new heart. All I do is turn to him and say, God, here it is. 
I have nothing to give you, but here's what I'm, I'm going to give you me. I'm going to give you this, this dirty, stinking soul that's all bent and bruised and tattered and torn and worthless. And he says, thank you, and he gives us a brand new one that desires him, that follows after him. Ezekiel 36 says the same, same thing. I just want to read it. And... Starting at verse, uh, start at verse 21. We'll get the whole paragraph. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathens, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my own holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen. And I will sanctify my great name, which was pro- profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord says the Lord God, then I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather out you out of the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness of, and your idols and I will cleanse you. A new heart also I will give you and a new spirit I will put in you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. But right there he said it. I will do these things. And I loved it where he says that I will put a new spirit with you and cause you to walk in my statutes. When we turn to God, he changes who, it, who we are and it's him who causes us to do what he wants us to do. And it starts with our humbly submitting and saying, God, I'm giving you me. I'm giving you me. This worthless, stinking (laughs) hunk of flesh that wants to sin and is worthless, and I'm giving you. And God says, okay, fine, I'll put a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And you're going to want to start doing what's right. This is why it... We can know some people are Christians because you can see that they're wanting to do the right things. And the only way we we want to do right things is when God has crucified our flesh and he's working out of us. And he causes us to do right things because he is the one that changes us. And all it is is just learning to relax and allow him to do. And allow him to do. And that means we open our mouth, he fills our mouth. We go, God, what would you like me to do? And we go do it. The, the story in the case for Christ that, that I was just telling you about, you know, how did the, the, uh, Lee Strobel's wife get touched is because some lady said we were going to a different restaurant and God told us to come here. You know, how does that work? You just have this impression. I'm sure that God didn't speak to their mind, their heads and go, you need to go to this other restaurant, but it was driving past. I think we should go there. <laughs> I don't know why I just did. And I can tell you, I've had that happen many times where I've just, I think I need to go down this way today and found somebody to minister to. I need to go just do this. Gone to a store that I hadn't planned on going to, never go to, and ended up talking to somebody. This has happened to me. I understand that type of thing. Why? Who knows? <laughs> I, you know, it, it's part of it is an impression. You just act on sometimes. And all of a sudden, God says, here's, here's your divine appointment. 
It happened to me very recently. I was at the doctor's office with Lynn, and I'm going, I need to go out to the car to check something, and there was somebody that needed, needed some help and needed to be talked to. Yeah. I could have just sat in there and done what I wanted to do, which was sit there and read my book. <laughs> but, some, but I had this impression, go outside. <laughs> go outside to the car. I go, nothing out in the car. I didn't need anything in the car. But there was somebody next to my car that needed to be touched. Huh? That's one great impression. Like I said, there was no reason to go to the car. We just go to the car. And I'm going, I don't know why I'm going to the car. I have to pray for stuff like that to happen to me more often. (laughs) A lot of it comes from two portions. Number one, learning to listen and learning to act. And sometimes you're going to make the wrong decisions until you get to learn <laughs> to hear. Uh, going out to my car, that really wasn't a hard decision. I'm going, okay, I don't need to go out to the car. I don't know why I'm going to the car, but went out to the car. And there was somebody that needed it. Now, some are a little harder decisions to make. Uh, I'm just glad you said that. Sometimes it doesn't work. Or, uh, as far as you're concerned, it, it uh, doesn't spark anything. Yeah. But there was no reason, there was no desire, you know, it was just one of those things, go out to the car, and I'm going, why do I want to go out to the car? Yeah, that would be me. And I'm going, I got my book, <laughs> Lynn's, in the, Lynn's in the office, why do I want to go out to the car? And in this particular case, I went out to the car, and there was that person to minister to. Now, there's been other times I followed an impression, and they weren't, nothing, nothing, seemed, nothing seemed to have occurred at, at the level that I can, that I can be at. Now, did it get me away from something that was going to happen? Did, it, did my doing it you know, trigger somebody else who's watching me and manage to do something? I don't know. So I, I want to be very careful to say that when I followed those, nothing, yeah, nothing happened. Yeah. And... There was a time in, in uh, church back east that we were going to. My dad invited this guy to come to church, and the guy finally came to church. He wasn't a Christian. He goes, I got, my dad goes, well, you never know what you're going to f- see around here. He goes, well, I bet you won't see line dancing here in the church. Well, of course, we've never seen any line dancing in the church up under this point in time. But this group got up to sing, and they sang a country song. <laughs> and in the middle of the song, they decided to break out in a line dance. <laughs> okay. They caught a lot of flack from different other holier than <laughs> holy, they, you know, how, how dare they dance on, this, on the stage. <laughs> it brought us a, a point to this person to be talked to about God, though. You know, who knows what it is? There's been times when I've, I've gone up to somebody and I've said something which made no sense to be saying to them. And they go, you know, that's just what I asked God to have said to me if I was supposed to follow, you know, some direction. I'm going, okay, it made no sense to me, but it made sense to them. Uh, we never know what's going on. We just learn to be obedient. And the most important thing, and I've stressed this oftentimes, but I'll stress again on this one, we have to be careful on what we think we see or what we think we feel because we, our feelings lie to us and our, our sight lies to us so often. Because we don't know what's going on in the spiritual world. We don't know who's watching us. We don't know what's going on. And I, the greatest example I can, that, I've, that I can think of about in my life is when I spent months on my crutches with my gout attack 
And I'm going, this doesn't make any sense, God. There's nothing good about this. You know, I'm in lots of pain. I can barely sleep at night. And here I am in church, wandering around on crutches, doing my work. And then a year later, somebody goes, you know, you really encouraged me by being so faithful when, it was, when you were in obvious pain. Now, that was a great example for me to be able to use to other people. You know, was, will I, would I, am, I, am I happy that I was on, on crutches for six months? No, but I am happy that God was able to use it for somebody and for something. And this is one thing I'm trying to learn in my life. No matter what I think about a situation, God's got a plan. He's got a reason. And whether I see it, whether I feel it, <laughs> doesn't matter. All I have to do is stay faithful and say, God, I'm going to do the best I can with whatever you want me to do. Help me get through. And let him be responsible for the, what comes from it. And this is the beauty of God is that he knows everything. He knows the people who are watching you as you were faithful and were blessed by it. He knows when you've said just the right thing that made no sense to be saying and touched somebody's life and a reward is recorded in heaven because you were faithful. He looks at it and says, look at all these people you touched and rewards that you know nothing about. The greatest rewards in heaven are going to be those ones that are going to surprise us because all we were doing was living our day-to-day -day life and not trying to impress anybody or do anything special. And somebody says, that touched me. That was part of what led me to Christ, was the, how faithful you were in those areas. And we don't know, we never know what it is. We never know. Many times I'll just start talking to somebody and the next thing I know I'm teaching them. <laughs> in the middle of just talking to them, I'll be all of a sudden teaching. It wasn't planned. It wasn't, wasn't you know, premeditated. It was just God starting to say, do this. You know, and you open your mouth, and the next thing you know, <laughs> you're, you're talking about God and Jesus and, and teaching. You know, we never know what's going to go on. All we do is give God our body. We are a living sacrifice that God can use when we give ourselves to him, which is our reasonable service. We give ourselves to him, and he uses us in ways that we can't even imagine. Sometimes it's very outward and very well seen. Other times it's barely seen. Uh, we may not see it, but people see what's going on. And I, and I, love, I love it when I tell people, well, I was really... I really liked what I saw you do, and they're going, what did I do? <laughs> I love that attitude. Yeah, I'm not even sure what you're talking about. That's happened to me. Somebody, I love when you did this, and I'm going, what did I do? What did I say? How did I, you know, what was it that touched this person? Because it's just God doing what needs to be done. And again, not perfect. Make lots of mistakes. But God has also used me in many ways over 44 years. And just being able to do things and be able to share with him and have, have him fill my mouth. And there's those other times when I, when I realize I didn't say the things I should have. And I remember, think about what I should have said about three hours after I'm done, <laughs> done with the person. I've had plenty of those ones too. All right? But the most important thing is we need to learn just to speak, just to say, sometimes just to be silent. There are times to be silent and not say and let people just think. One of the things that they teach pe teachers is 
there's a time when you ask a question that you just let the silence sink in <laughs> and that people think about and meditate on it. There's a time for silence. There's a time for the quietness. There's a time for hard hitting, <laughs> you know, in your face procedures. Certain people are better at each one of those than others. But we just learn to let the spirit keep us. And it says, cast away your transgressions and I, and make your new heart and your new spirit. And that's God that gives us those. New heart. How do we do? We start by casting away our transgression. Confess. Say, God, I, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Take these things away. And here, here's this big, black, ugly soul, God. <laughs> it's yours. And then God does a great work on it. Verse 33, for I have, uh, 32, for I have no pleasure in, your, in the death of him that dies, says the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live you. God does not take pleasure in a soul going to hell. All right. Now, his righteousness and his holiness says, yes, that this is what they deserve. But he does not take pleasure in it. Is it? God's heart is going to be broken when he sends people to hell. Even though that's what they wanted and they, would, they refused to come to him, he loves them so much that, yes, his mercy, his, his judgment and his holiness and his righteousness will say, you know, yes, they're getting what they deserve, but there's not going to be pleasure in that. He loves his creation. He does not want to see his creation hurt. And he does not want to see us, especially eternally hurt. He'll, he'll hurt us for the purpose of bringing us around to righteousness, but he's not, his whole, the one, the one place that is going to really hurt him is when people are sent to hell for eternity because they rejected him. They rejected all of his mercy, all of his hands being held out to them, all the calls that he made to them, and they reject it, and hell will be the result. And that will be heartbreaking to him. He'll know on one side that they deserve it and all this other stuff, but it will not be something that he's going to take great pleasure it won't be, ah, ha, 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 they finally got what they deserve. No, you know, it won't be our way of looking at it. They finally got what they deserve. It'll be, I gave you so many chances and you rejected. You are getting what you wanted, but you, re but you had so many chances. So many times that God puts out the, the light, puts out the invitation, and then eventually there'll be the last chance, and many will go to hell. And that should motivate us to talk to some people because hell is eternal. Eternal, severe punishment. People don't grasp that. Eternity is a long time. It's a long time and, and the penalty of hell is a really severe penalty. Because I've heard people go, well, I'm going to go to hell and have parties with my, my friends. You, sorry, it's isolation. You won't be seeing your friends in hell. You won't be partying with your friends, you know, to... You won't be misery-loving, uh, having you know, company, uh, misery loves company. You, know, you won't have your company to, to lessen the effect of it. It'll be darkness and burning and the conscience turning over and over. I really believe that part of hell will be always hearing for eternity every time you rejected God. And I have this idea that they'll be able to see into heaven. Because the rich man, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man looked up and saw what he could have had. And that would be torment. You're having your conscience bother you every time you about every time you rejected Christ, the worm that turns, 
and you'd be able to see everything that you're missing out on. And it'll be torture. It really will be torture. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. Lord, we ask that you guide each one of us. Help us to learn to hear your voice. Help us to turn from our sin and our desires. Help us learn to just repent. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this tape and on the Internet and doesn't know you, we ask that you convict them of their sin, that they deserve the punishment that you and that you have the free gift of your son, that they can accept your son's righteousness, confess their sins, and repent and accept his righteousness and come to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.